This podcast is a part of the Garnet Media Group Podcast Network. Garnet Media Group is a partnership between student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. Find out more about Garnet Media Group's podcast and other student work on garnetmedia.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this month's episode of 1801 Live. My name is Hannah White, and I'm the host of this podcast. And today I have a quite few um, guests with me in order to have a crucial and necessary conversation. But before we get started, I would just like for everyone to introduce themselves. Today we are going to be having a conversation about race, race relations on campus, and just talking about everything that's going on in our nation, in our world, and how we feel and how we can contribute to change. And so um, first, let everyone introduce themselves. If they can just say your name, um, what organization you're a part of, and if you are on exec for a council, say your position. Hi, everyone. I'm Shriam. Um, I am the secretary for the Multicultural Greek Council on our campus, and I'm a rising junior. Hi everyone, um, my name is Shannon. I'm a rising senior on campus and I'm the president of Zeta Tau Alpha. Hey everyone, I'm Rachel. I am a rising senior and I serve as the president for the College Panhellenic Association. Hey everyone, I'm Adarsh. I'm a member of SIGAP. Additionally, I currently serve as the IFC's vice president of community equity and I'm a rising junior. Uh, hey everybody, my name is Matteo and uh, I'm a rising senior and I serve as president for Phi Iota Alpha. Hi everybody, I'm Sierra. Um, I'm a rising senior and I'm the current president of the Theta Gamma chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Hi, um, I'm Kid Naskew. I'm a rising junior. Um, I'm a member of Phi Sigma Kappa fraternity in, under the IFC. Hi, my name is Jack and I'm the Secretary of Greek Affairs and I'm a rising junior. Hi, I'm Joseph, a rising senior. I'm a brother of the Theta Gamma chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated and president of the National Panhellenic Council. Hi everyone, I'm Aiden. I'm the VP of Membership Development on IFC. All right, so we have a big group today, but before we get started with the conversation, um, I just want to remind everyone to be respectful of everyone's experiences and truths. No one is an expert here today, and so I want to make sure that no one comes off as attacking someone else. Um, we respond in truth and with respect and that no one um, disregards anyone's opinions, experiences, or how they feel. Um, I think it's very important for us to listen, to understand, and view different perspectives. These conversations can be uncomfortable at times, but it's important that we do not let discomfort keep us from speaking up and contributing to the discussion. So I'm really here, I'm gonna throw some questions out there, but it's really up to everyone in this conversation to engage, ask questions, and comment on others' experiences. But we're first, going to start off from childhood, how we grew up. So for everyone, was race or racism ever discussed in your household um, growing up? And if so, what was said? Um, I can start. Um, so I grew up um, kind of when I was younger. Um, my parents um, taught me to see everyone the same, which now I know is called colorblind racism. And kind of like under that, um, guys, I've uh, growing up, I went to a predominantly white um, high school. I only had one um, black person. 
um, in my grade in high school. So I didn't really learn anything about race or like racial injustices at all throughout high school. Um, so I kind of had to like educate myself and then coming to college, University of South Carolina, again, is a predominantly white institution, um, but definitely has more diversity um, than my high school. Um, and so with that, obviously I'm in a um, CPA organization. So again, predominantly white. So I'm surrounded um, in these spaces that are predominantly white. So I have to um, kind of go out of my way to make myself uncomfortable and le learn and listen from others um, who don't necessarily come from the same background as I do. Um, but kind of like introspectively, I know that um, being a white woman, it's kind of hard because you, think of like talking about race and like maybe making yourself seem undesirable to someone whether it be your parents someone you're dating um and I think that that's something that's really important that a lot of people don't talk about because that's a lot of the times why white men, women do not speak up um so I think you have to look introspectively as to like where is that coming from and you kind of have to like figure it out with yourself first before um, you go out and um, start trying to make a difference um, on a larger level. You first have to figure it out with yourself. So that was kind of my experience growing up. And Joseph, I did not mean to cut you off <laughs> in the beginning, but. Um, it's all good. First off, Shana. Um, so of course I'm a black man. My dad is also a pastor um, in a black church. So race was always talked about in my house, um, at like family gatherings, um, at school. Um, at church so like it was always a thing and so well like I think like I never really experienced like blatant like racism to my face like later on in life it was always something that I knew happened and I knew that I could experience at any time um, so I don't want to say like I moved throughout life kind of vigilant but like I have to a certain extent and I think now with everything that's going on um, in the country in our world and on campus I'm definitely moving even more vigilantly um, moving more like moving throughout the space um more cautiously um just because like i know that it's it's gonna happen or can happen to me but it's always been a conversation and it's more so not been a conversation that like okay white people hate black people it's more so been a conversation about there are some people who don't like you because of the color of your skin and so you have to be cautious about who you're around who you talk to what you do how you do it and so that's just always been the conversation in my household and i know for some other um black people that experience is a little different um so i i'm thankful for that experience and that i've been taught to of course like um watch my surroundings but not always go into a, a a situation or to a person and like judge them based off of just the color of your skin which is a little different mix but that's my experience so honestly don't think race was ever discussed when i was growing up as a kid uh my grandparents were both immigrants and they had a large role in raising me so they just taught me to treat everyone with respect because i mean they went through their own struggles coming to america and coming from poor families overseas especially because they came over during the war too so tensions were highest so they just taught me to treat everyone with respect and then you'll be fine and then my high school i went to a very diverse high school in the middle of Cleveland. So just a very diverse student body. And it's kind of sad being in an IFC organization with the lack of diversity, especially in my chapter, because in high school, I had such a like diverse friend group, just a wide network. But now, I don't know, I just don't have as much with the organization I'm in, which I don't like, I guess. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and go. Um, I grew up in a household where race wasn't talked about as much. Um, I'm Indian American. My parents came to the United States in the early 90s. 
Um, it was always something I was cognizant of, but it was never something that I let define me per se. I think there's so much more to a person than just their race. So that was always something my parents taught me and my sister, um, that you can't let this one aspect of your life that you had no control over define you and define your entire experience and live your entire life based on one experience. Um, and growing up, I grew up in Apex, North Carolina, which is a very, very diverse area. Um, near RTP. So I think I was exposed to a lot of diverse people during middle school and high school, um, which has definitely benefited me. So I know, sorry. And there's going to be multiple times people can intersect or interject, but I know it's a common theme of people talking about their experiences and then how it differs at USC. So has there been any incidents to where you feel how you grew up, the people that you grew up around, it's similar to the demographics of the population at USC and who you surround yourself with at USC or is it completely different? Um, for me it was completely different. Um, I grew up in Chicago, Illinois. Um, I live in a predominantly Mexican-American neighborhood. Um, I myself am Colombian-American and that was just the environment I grew up in. Um, elementary school, middle school, high school, everyone in my class was either a Mexican-American born here in the U.S. or were immigrants themselves. Um, I'm accustomed to going to supermarkets and restaurants where everyone is speaking Spanish, stores where everyone speaks Spanish. And so I grew up in a predominantly uh, POC environment. And so coming to USC, it was definitely a culture, sh uh, culture shock, um, most especially since coming to USC, uh, there were times that I definitely could not relate to people um, when compared to back here at home, I could relate to people based on common culture, common language, common experiences. It was the complete opposite uh, coming to USC. Um, I would say like my experience are the same. Um, I'm from a small town in South Carolina. Um, so predominantly white. Um, so coming, well, first of all, I wasn't your typical black girl growing up. I did competitive dance for about five years. And then I swam until I was a junior in high school. So I wasn't in a lot of the spaces that other black girls my age were in. Um, so that experience was totally different for me moving to college because I found myself being drawn to these black spaces where I could experience like more of like my culture, more people that look like me because I didn't get that a lot growing up. Like similarly, like where I grow grew up, like I grew up in like Orangeburg, like South Carolina, and I went to like a private like um high school, and a lot of the um people that went there, like they were predominantly like white, and like people in like my grade, like we had like about four or five like people um color in it, so like growing up like here, which like race wasn't like really discussed throughout like my high school or whatnot. But like definitely like moving to like USC, like I felt like I met like a lot of like, not like my own people, but like I met people that like shared like similar like cultural backgrounds as me and whatnot. So like, yeah, I would say like the experience for me was like a lot different coming to USC. Yeah, coming from, I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. So definitely way up in the North and coming to USC was something that was really different for me in terms of discussing race and seeing different things because I think growing up like I never and I don't want to generalize and say like certain parts of the country like are different than others but I do think that definitely in the north like people aren't as outward like don't really talk outwardly as much about race and also like 
aren't as blatantly racist. They're more like they might make like some comments or something like that. But like, so even just growing up, I feel like I don't want to say that I didn't believe that racism was a thing, but I was like, oh, like it, I just never really like was seeing it as much. And then when I went down to like school in South Carolina, like I would just like hear it amongst people so much more like people like saying slurs or people just like saying rude things or like I don't know just like so many different things that like I was like wow like this is actually like it was such an eye-opening moment for me because like obviously I like had never like seen that before and just growing up like where I was from like I never like I was privileged to not like see all of those things going on in our country and then like going down to school like it definitely was such a wake-up call for me of like okay this is like a real thing that's going on and like is super serious so I think that was definitely something like super different for me kind of on a negative side. To your point um Rachel you mentioned how sometimes you would hear people say racial slurs or things of that nature um I think we've all have been in incidences where we've been in conversations and we've heard someone make a comment, a biased comment. Um, and so in those situations, have you, do you have a situation where you spoke up? Do you typically speak up? Um, is it uncomfortable? And do you not speak up for the fact of fear? Um, how do you go about that? Um, I know growing up, like I didn't speak out as much. Um, and it just, I wasn't secure in like who I was. And like, I didn't want to be seen as like, oh, she's got a problem with this. So I just, decide to like keep my mouth shut and kind of let it go with the flow. Um, but like coming into my own and coming into USC, um, I've definitely learned to like actually how to speak up for myself, um, tell them how that makes me feel. I know that you may feel a certain way, but I'm just gonna let you know how I feel when you say these things. Um, so I've learned how to do that. Yeah, similarly, like growing up, I didn't say much, but like definitely like coming to USC, like if I did hear someone say anything and like I just personally like feel very uncomfortable when like you know someone's like uh, you know slurring around like saying like things towards someone like I just don't think that's okay especially like a lot of like pain and like whatnot is associated with like the words like they like say to people so like I definitely like speak up now for sure. I think um kind of going off that I definitely see now that um, in high school, I wish witnessed a lot of microaggressions and things of that nature, but going off of what Rachel said, um, never anything like super outward or um, like very confrontational almost, but then um, since being at South Carolina numerous times, um, even within like the CPA and IFC communities, I've had to speak up and almost get like a little nervous about speaking up because people are like oh my gosh you're so like liberal or like as if that's like some sort of insult which makes it, it like kind of like a nervous thing to speak up um but also it's like so it's so important um especially as leaders of our community to say something um and let it be known that it's not tolerated or else it will just um continue to happen I would definitely agree with what Shannon just said. Um, I feel like in IFC specifically and also CPA, I guess to an extent, there's definitely stigma around speaking up about this kind of thing because people will say, oh, you're just a liberal. Like, you know, like most people in our organizations typically do skew to the right. Um, but I feel like that's not an excuse anymore because you can be affiliated with any political party, but saying certain things is just not right. So I feel like 
now that I'm in an executive role, um, and even when I came to college for the first time as a freshman, I feel like that's when I started to become more aware about these type of things. I think in middle school and high school, I wouldn't speak up about it as much. Um, but as you progress into adulthood, it becomes more important to really, you know, say what you're thinking and make it known. I think oftentimes, even when I was younger, I can relate to most of you guys with not speaking up as much as I should. Also, and it's a mind game to where most things, in my experiences, it hasn't been blatant racism or whatever biased comments it might be towards someone to attack them. So it's kind of underlined in jokes and we end up laughing at the end and it was supposed to be lighthearted and fun, right? And so growing up, if I would have called someone out on that joke that they said, or even though the, the comment was under or underlying in a joke, then I would be the bad guys. Oh, you ruined the moment, Hannah. It's just for fun. Like, we're just kidding. It's fine. Like, we weren't serious. And so that's something that uh, resonated with me for a while to kind of, I had to think for myself as, is this really a joke? Is, or are they just really kidding or playing? But it took me a while to understand that joke or not, if I do not speak up, then they're going to, they're going to, that's basically saying that it's okay to do. And so in other conversations that they have with other people, they will probably say that same joke and then they come around someone that does not play that game and then it can go left. And so it's just, it's more important to be honest. And I think a lot of times also we confuse honesty with just anger, rage, and I guess calling someone out. So, you know, everyone has heard of the phrase calling someone out. And I really do not like that phrase because I feel like it makes what you're doing a negative thing. Um, just being respectful, saying how that affects others, whether it's something that is personal to you or even other marginalized groups. It's not necessarily calling someone out, but just doing what's right. Um, and Hannah, like what you just said actually just makes me think of like what's going on now and how the Black Lives Matter movement is like, we're like Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter. And then we have people who are like, um, well, you know, like I'm offended by what you're saying. And it's just like, it's the truth. Like this is happening in our communities and we're just speaking out because we're tired of it. So like, don't feel like it's a personal attack. Like we're just asking you to join in the fight and to like help make these things change. And so like, I totally feel you. And like, I also think about the whole, like the angry black girl or the angry black boy and like how like, like people are, they get offended for you just telling the truth and telling like what your experience is and like how what they're doing is affecting you negatively. Um, so like, I definitely just kind of, um, I see what you're saying there. And it just makes me think about other things that happen with race relations. So I know in a lot of people, you guys' testimonies when you're talking about growing up, um, Shannon, it was you being the white woman and people stereotypizing, is that a word? But putting you in a stereotype of, since you speak up about these things, oh, you're this, you're that. Mateo, when you came to USC, you feel like um, you couldn't relate as much as you could with your um, group back when you were at home. And then Sierra, you talked about growing up, dancing and um, swimming. And so that's something that different that a lot of black girls um, do not do, or it's not common to do when we're younger per se. Um, and so how does that, or how did that affect you and your identity growing up? Um, I know I can talk to my testimony first, but when I was younger, I went to a private elementary school, so predominantly white elementary school, and then transferred into a middle school that was uh, predominantly black and Latinx. 
And so at that predominantly white school, I felt like I did not belong. Just, I mean, it was, it was clear. I could try whatever I could try, but something I just never would relate on a level that I thought I would. Um, I had one black um, girl that was my best friend, but then she transferred um, out of the school. And so for years, it was just me, just me and everyone else was um, white. And so although everyone was nice, everyone was kind, it's just, you could tell that you don't relate on that level. And then transferring into a middle school where it was predominantly black and Latinx, I was like, okay, I, I can fit in, I can fit in, but I would have a conversation. It's like, oh, you're white, but no, you're different or something's not, you're not the same as us. And so I had to battle, like kind of have an identity crisis of like, who am I? What, who do I, who are my people? What, what, what is going on? Because I, I don't relate in two of those areas. And so it took me um, being, or learning how to be confident in myself, who I am as a black woman, my background and what I came from in order to be confident to have these conversations and even step out coming to USC and being involved in different organizations. Can you guys relate to that? Or was it a struggle trying to balance um, the feelings that you were feeling and what you've all accomplished? I'll definitely say just like you, I had an identity crisis. So growing up, um, I was in like the accelerated classes and that's what they called them. And I was the only black girl and the only black boy in the class was my cousin. And it was almost like that until my ninth grade year. And when I started having classes with other black kids, I really didn't fit in my hair. The hair was a struggle. I always wanted my hair straight. I told y'all I swam until I was in high school. I wanted a perm. So like, if y'all don't know, like a perm makes your hair straight and it's probably not good to get a perm when you're swimming 10 hours a week. Um, but I begged my mom, I would cry to get a perm because I wanted my hair straight like the other girls. Um, and so I was really having identity crisis growing up. I never fit in with the black girls. I only had like one or two friends um, for that I had known since preschool. But other than that, I didn't really fit in anywhere. And it wasn't until I came to USC that I met other black kids that had like the same experience I did. There's not just one way to grow up black. Um, there's not just one way to grow up in any race. Um, so being able to find people like that helped me find my community and helped me find who I was um, and owning those parts of myself. Um, because I used to be proud and call myself an Oreo. And looking back, I would I would never say that. I would I love my blackness. Um, and I would like looking back, it was horrible, but I've learned to appreciate and love every part of me now. Yeah, uh, same Sierra. Um, so I grew up competitive dancing all the way from like um, fifth grade to senior year of high school as well. Like, so however, like my dance studio is predominantly black. So that experience was totally different. However, like going to competitions that were predominantly white, like it was a totally different experience. Like our dances would be geared to more like racial issues and things like that. And so it was totally different from what was ever seen on the competition circuit. So that struggle was a little different, but also like growing up in high school, like I went to a predominantly black high school. However, like I never felt like I fit in. Like I will always be called like, oh, just you're so white or just you're so this, you're so that. And so like, it wasn't until I came to USC where like I found my group of like people and like give it, of course, like 
my people like more than just black people however like I didn't feel like I had that support or like that that community of black people until I got to USC just because I feel like everyone here at USC or like all my black friends here at USC have come to this understanding that like it doesn't matter how you express your blackness the only thing that it takes for you to be black is to be black there's no characteristic there's no occupation there's no this is that the third is literally you're black like we share a similar struggle and we're going to come here and be together so I feel you Sierra um relating to identity growing up so my mother she immigrated from colombia but my father is actually from atlanta he's white and so sometimes trying to figure out how to identify myself uh, was always complicated especially when i was younger you know um oftentimes even though my father is white and my mother is a white colombian you know, colombian of predominantly european ancestry um many people never really saw me as white they're like no you're not white you're latino uh get over there you know and even among the latin american circle like i said i grew up in a predominantly mexican-american community and i was usually the only colombian american in my social circles so while there was a lot of common ground in terms of culture there was also some cultural differences and so growing up I usually had a stronger identification as Colombian than I did with either my American side or with my overall Latin American heritage. But it was coming to USC, um, even though there was less Latin Americans at USC, there was more of a national diversity among the Latin American crowd. There were more Colombians, there were more Salvadorans, uh, Guatemalans, Hondurans, uh, Cubans, etc. And so it was going to USC that I started to learn to appreciate my overall Latin American heritage. So instead of being a lot more proud of being Colombian than Latin American, I started being proud of being Latin American overall, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I definitely would agree with what Sierra mentioned before about having a huge identity crisis all throughout elementary, middle school, and like most of high school as well. I feel like I was always like the token like Indian kid who was like friends with the white kids. And that definitely became my identity. So I was like neither here nor there. I wasn't completely friends with the Indians at my high school or middle school, but I was not completely friends with all the white kids either. So it was just like a weird in-between stage. And I feel like progressing into my later years of high school, I was really struggling to figure out which group I wanted to be a part of. Do I want to be a part of this group or that group? Um, and then coming to USC, it just made me realize that you can do both. You don't have to give up being what your race is or being in contact with your culture um, in order to participate in both. Um, so yeah, that was definitely a big learning experience for me when I came here my freshman year. And going back to what you said, Hannah, um, for the longest time, I had this like struggle because I used to be very shy. Um, and I had this struggle of like, don't speak up because you don't want to make waves. Um, but then the minute I kind of like, again, like talking about that introspective conversation you have to have with yourself, like, why was I feeling that way? And the minute I kind of like got over that and started speaking up for people, um, honestly, it just, it not only feels better like you're just doing the right thing um and i think that's really important especially like being in a cpa organization we have less than five black girls in our whole sorority of 310 people um and last last semester um one of my friends said that i was the first person to make her feel seen in the sorority and i think that's so powerful and just like one person can make a difference in like the sense that like if you're modeling diversity and inclusion in your everyday lives that can make a difference for a person in your organization 
Um, and I think in IFT and CPA, that is so, so important to think about that just like a general member can make such a big difference in um, everyone. I definitely agree, Shannon. And I know Joseph touched on it a little bit earlier, but um, there are a lot of movements going on, Black Lives Matter movement. Um, very necessary. It's actually 23 days since the murder of George Floyd, but um, I, I, and people can tell your opinions about what's going on, but it's interesting about how this, this has been going on. Um, this has been going on, but something about how George Floyd's death sparked, I believe, what now is like the modern civil rights movement. So I've seen people who've been quiet before speaking up. Um, social media is, you know, for what's been 23 days. So for 23 days, social media has been going on about resources to use, how to be an ally, and just speaking up against the justice, as well as it's been sparking movements, small movements across the nation, if not the globe, about how can I change the environment and the impact I make in my community. So um, I know there's been a lot of articles about even renaming the buildings on campus and um, a lot of, even in the state, um, or not the state, but in the nation, a lot of statues have been coming down, a lot of movements been made um, at different universities about how to make change in the place that I like to call home. And so how have you guys been taking that in do you feel the pressure of you have to post something? Should I post something? What is true allyship? If I post, do I check a check? I mean, check a check box or um, what thoughts have been going through you all's heads about how to go about what's going on right now? I'll start. Um, Hannah, I know we've had this conversation before, but I was really uncomfortable about you know speaking out at first and um, trying to be an ally because I didn't want it to come off as disingenuine. Um, and I know I had that conversation with you. I didn't want to be just somebody who was posting to social media um, and just doing, you know, the bare minimum and wasn't, you know, actually being a true ally. Um, and so, you know, what I found when I did have those conversations with people is that it, it's welcome, it's encouraged, and that anything that I, that I have done and said, you know, is helpful. Um, and, and not being afraid to put myself out there and try to be a part of of the great change that we're creating and that people are creating all around the country um, just because I'm white and that it's, it's, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to be disingenuine or taken as disingenuine. Um, but I've shared that experience with you. And I'm sure, I mean, a couple of people on this call probably have had the same experience. I don't know. Yeah, I think another thing with social media too, which is something that like I've had conversations with, um, like with my friends too, is that like, I love seeing everything, like, that's been posted on social media, and, like, I think that there are some really great things out there, but at the same time, also, like, I think sometimes people do think, like, okay, I can check my checkbox, like, I shared this post, and, like, yes, awareness is great, but, like, to some extent, like, I'm just more of an action person, and, like, I think that trying to, like, make, like, do specific things, like, being on this podcast, or, like, trying to start up like something in your organization or like in your council or just like I don't know I think that it's like it can't just be just social media like people like some people definitely think like okay I can share this on my story like I'm doing great and like yeah like that I'm not trying to discount that but also like I just don't like I think sometimes people think that's enough when it's not. I think I definitely agree um I think of it like this so we're all student leaders of different 
prospective council organization, so on and so forth. It's as if I were to post about an event, what if it was 18 a lot, one a lot, but never do the event. I just post about it. Did not plan the event. It was not going to happen. Didn't tell whoever people to attend to come at all, but I post about it. And so I think that that is the equivalent of people just posting and then that is the extent they go in order to show that their allyship. Um, so I definitely agree with both you, Rachel, and Caden of having these conversations. Yes, posting is great, but the true allyship goes into what do you do beyond that. Um, and I will say one thing, Caden, you said that sometimes you're uncomfortable, but I applaud you for being uncomfortable because when you're uncomfortable in a situation, that means you're being humble and genuine. And it takes a lot for you to come out and say something like this, especially like in your own communities of people, because they may not hear from other people. Like if I'm screaming in their face, Black Lives Matter, they may not hear it from me, but you could calmly say Black Lives Matter and they may take it under consideration and understand. It just takes that true allyship to really push what this movement is really for. Uh, it's a humanitarian issue. There's no left, no right. This is making sure that all kids can grow up and be whatever they want to be in this world and be safe. Um, so yeah, I applaud you for being uncomfortable. Thank you. I think that's part of what has made this movement carry on for so long and be so impactful is that, like you said, so many people are now speaking up that wouldn't have before. And a lot of people are starting to embrace what makes them uncomfortable. And that's good. I mean, that's the way that you inspire change. That's how, you know, things get done. You know, nothing ever gets done by just sitting there and being comfortable and not doing a thing. I think uncomfortability is really what's key to everything that's going on right now and trying something that you maybe haven't before or speaking up in a way that you haven't prior, um, you know, taking actions that you wouldn't have in the past. Um, and I think that's really key to everything that's happening right now. Um, Hannah, you, you asked like how we were feeling throughout this whole thing. And so like, I actually have a question is like, like everyone's been saying like, um, because of George Ford, like there's so much happening, there's so much change happening. But my question is, is like you said earlier, like this isn't new, like this isn't something that just popped up out of nowhere. And so like, my question is, is like, what about George, George Floyd's murder was different? Like what, what clicked in people's heads? Like what's different about this time out of the thousands of times that incidents like this have happened? What's different about this time that's making people say like, I need to do some action. Like I need to do something about this. I'm just curious. And like, I would love to hear everyone else's thoughts about that. I can share. Um, for me, it wasn't so much the incident of George Floyd. I think it has more to do with where I am now as opposed to where I was when some of the other things um, have, have happened. I'm in a place now where I'm, you know, surrounded by a diverse group of people that, you know, I didn't grow up with. I grew up in the middle of Texas. Um, you know, I grew up around people who looked like me. Um, and, and, you know, it wasn't a topic of discussion at all, race. Um, and so now I'm, I'm part of these discussions. I'm encouraged to be a part of these discussions. And so now I'm, I'm starting to look at not only things that have happened, but look forward and see my role in it as, as an ally and somebody who has this privilege to speak up and speak in the communities that I had previously been silent in because of where I had lived and just the, the culture around it. And like looking back, I have a lot of regrets about not speaking up and not being a part of important conversations that should have been had in 
my communities because you know it's it's our problem really it's not <laughs> it's not you know diverse communities problems it's our problems because you know yeah kind of piggybacking off of that like when michael brown happened in ferguson i didn't really understand black lives matter i thought me not adding to the issue was good enough i thought just not adding to racism not like using microaggressions i thought that was good enough but now seeing how unified the movement was after george floyd like i don't know what the difference was i think more people just understand what black lives matter means now so i think that's why it's been such a more unified effort towards fixing this problem making a change aiden i don't think anything well nothing was different this murder was just like um the ones that happened in charleston the ones that happened in um ferguson I, I think it's more of a generational shift. The systems that we had, they're still in place. These are the systems that have been in place since this country began. But now, like when we, a lot of these murders were happening, we were only kids. But now that we're at that age where we can actually speak out our own, where like, I know it's disrespectful sometimes to maybe speak out um, against like your parents and grandparents beliefs. But now as we come into adulthood, we do have that ability where we can um, say what we want to say and say how we feel about things. Um, I think, yeah, I really think it's a generational shift um, and nothing, nothing has changed. It's just a generational shift. I would add to that by saying, I think the main reason why George Floyd's death and everything surrounding that has gotten so much more publicity and coverage and so many people have come out in support um, for this movement is just because of social media. It's purely because so many people had access to it. So many people saw the videos. It went viral on every single channel, news channel. It was playing for hours upon end. Um, and I think we're at a time in society now where this has become such an issue. It's reached almost a boiling point and we can no longer just ignore it. Um, if you are complacent in this issue, people are going to label you as racist. So I think fear also has definitely played a role in this. A lot of people who are maybe scared to talk about this before, um, they feel almost pressured to, and they feel that they should now, just for the sake of their own livelihood. And to that, Adarsh, I also think it's fear of not. So even the peer pressure aspect, as we all know, our timeline has been full of this movement, of this um, social and racial injustice that has been happening. And it's like, if I do not speak out, if I do not, um, showed my support to dismantling um, all of that's what's happening, then how, you know, how is this humane? This is, this is not right. And so I think it's the fear of, it used to be the fear of, oh, should I speak out? And now it's kind of like a complete 180 to where if I do not speak out, what will happen? I agree with that completely. I can I ask a question I kind of like just have a question to ask um I know this is something that like we've been talking about and I think like I really wanted to use this opportunity to kind of like get insight as well um and like obviously CPA and IFC organizations like really like haven't been doing the best diversity wise like obviously like some of our recruitment practices like aren't as diverse as they can be and like I was just wondering if there's like insight that like anyone has into like how we can like be doing better like what are some things like not just like individual wise but like as a whole like as campus organizations like what can we 
maybe be doing? I know like that's like such a huge question, but I'd love to just like hear people's perspectives and kind of like get ideas on what we could be doing. Um, so Rachel, um, first off, I can just say this, that like as president of like MPHC, like the only difference between like how you guys like CPA and IFC look at diversity and how MPHC organizations look at diversity is that like we're already people of color. We're already black people. So like our diversity needs to go further as into like LGBTQ and then like other aspects of diversity. So we both struggle with diversities on both ends. And I just want to clear up that diversity isn't just welcoming black people or people of color. It's all marginalized communities, people of color, all of that aspect. So we both as all councils have to work on diversity. But here on this campus, like we have multiple resources. Um, OMSA does a lot of diversity dialogues. They have peer leaders that come in. They actually, we had um, someone from OMSA, OMSA come in and do a, do a workshop with our, um, our chapter. So there's a lot of resources in the OMSA, but also like we talked about this a lot is like cross council um, partnerships. Like you don't necessarily have to have the quote unquote professional and diversity and inclusion to come in. I mean, I think honestly the best way to promote diversity and inclusion is just to say, hey, like let's do this program together. Let's get to know each other. Let's actually have conversations and like things that we're doing right now. So I don't want you to actually like feel like you have this random, like it has to be so official because it doesn't. Literally, it's an open invitation. Make that space for people to come in and have conversation and to get to know each other. And then we're all, all of our organizations are about service. That's one thing that we do. So why not say, let's do an open service day, IFC, CPA, MPHC, MGC, we're all going to get together, we're going to talk, and we're going to serve at the same time. And I think that's a great way to, like, bridge that gap of, like, what's missing in diversity for the both of us. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. I could also speak on that a little bit. Um, I know I was talking with uh, Hino O'Toole and Izzy uh, for things that we hope to see in this upcoming year. Um, and things that we were looking at were different um, philanthropy and service events and things to involve all four of the different great councils, um, just to have more interconnectedness between all of us because it is one great community um, as a whole. Uh, but I was wondering if any of you have any other ideas for uh, other things that we could do to be more interconnected because it does seem, you know, everybody has their own thing going on, but everybody has their own separate thing going on. You know, there's not much interweaving there's not much association between different councils um so i was wondering if you guys had any ideas uh for things that we could do to kind of change that and embrace each other more i think that it could be something seriously as simple as like not being afraid to stop by hip-hop wednesday and just like making yourself uncomfortable and putting yourself in that situation and i know that might seem silly but like i'm being so serious like just making those relationships with um, people in MPHC and like even seeing them stroll and kind of even like just knowing what that is, I feel like it's just such a big step in the right direction. And the I, same go, oh, sorry. No, you can go ahead. I was gonna say, and the same goes for like NPHC and MGC for IFC and CPA um, events. So I know, and correct me, Again, learning experience, I don't know the exact name, but specifically IFC, you guys do like a football thing and it's for dance marathon and people can come out. What is it called? Greek Bowl. Greek Bowl. So those things, they're very huge. Um, and I went last year and it was pretty fun. Never been before. And honestly, if it wasn't for Izzy, probably would not still know what that is. And so like we have our hip hop Wednesdays, um, step shows, throw offs, things of that nature. Every organization, like Jack said, has their own thing. So us going to that and 
practicing allyship in the professional platform, but also just be friends. It doesn't take having an event, a flyer with um, two different councils on it, names attached to it for us to show, okay, we're, we're showing allyship. It can be simple. I know we all now have each other's contact information of reaching out, hey, checking in, hey, we want to get lunch, hey, you know, just things of that nature. Because I really do think it's more about surface level allyship. So even if you do more than posting, you have that event, how can we dive deeper into say, that's actually my friend, like that's actually my ally friend, you know? I was just gonna say that the phone works both ways. So as like MPHC and MGC, we shouldn't have to wait on CPA and IFC to be like, oh, you wanna do something? We all, we all need to learn about each other's organizations. All of our organizations were founded on the principles of like brotherhood or sisterhood and service. So take what we do know about each other, go learn um, and reach out to those organizations that do have similarities. Because I know like in NPHC, we don't necessarily have philanthropies, but we do have similar things that intersect, such as breast cancer awareness, because I know um, this past fall, Zeta and Theta Gamma, they did, a, um, we did like a collaboration for an event. So just doing things like that, but it's all about doing your research and getting to know people as people first and not just trying to do things with the organization just because you're checking a box. And I think another important thing to think about too is like, this conversation is, the best start like i don't think this conversation has ever happened before uh, and you know of course correct me if i'm wrong but you know if this is the first it sure as heck can't be the last um and that you know this is pretty formal that we're on the podcast and we're live streaming on youtube right now but like it doesn't have to be this formal i mean even in COVID 19 y'all can always use our sg zoom and get together like that's that should keep happening that needs to keep happening um and that's how we get to know each other. I mean, it doesn't have to be as formal as an event or, you know, the podcast. Like, this is fine with me. Like, I don't know. I think Caden said it best. This is definitely, if it is the first, it's definitely not the last. So um, the point of this podcast, this episode, was just to show that we are starting those conversations, even if they're uncomfortable, they're necessary, and we all know that. So we decided to take time out of our days to come here, meet new people, and just have an open conversation about these topics. But definitely want to encourage everyone that's watching and that will listen um, to have these conversations within your household, with your friend groups, and even on the platforms using your titles and leadership in order to emphasize um, emphasize diversity, inclusion, and equity in all ways. And Hannah, I would just like to thank you for giving us this platform just to be able to come together and have this first conversation, have this first step, um, because I think moving forward, we are going to do great things together um, across all four councils. And I think mostly because, like, I know Jack with being the Secretary of Greek Affairs and just having those connections with everybody, I think we're going to do great things in the future. Big shout out to our host, Miss Hannah White. As always, a pleasure being on your podcast. Thank you, guys. But that's it. Thank you all for tuning in to the live stream, if you are. And this is it for this episode. So we'll see you guys next month. Thank you and bye.